hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today, I want to talk about five things that I wish I had known about earlier in my recovery. And for those of you who don't know about my sort of history, I had bulimia nervosa for seven years. It was through my late teens and early 20s. Um, Back then, there wasn't really a lot of help available. So I kind of really muddled through and recovered mainly on my own. Um, Although I did have some really great sort of general counselling in my mid-20s, which was sort of self-funded and was a really critical part of that process. Now, if you're wanting to hear a few more specifics about my journey, do go back and listen to um, the previous episode, which talks about my messy journey from bulimia to intuitive eating. I think that's what it's called. It's quite a few episodes back, but if you search for that, um, it really goes into a lot more detail. But today I want to talk about, yeah, five things that I wish I'd known when I was on the recovery journey. And, um, And I guess the reason I'm doing this as well is... sorry, swallowing. It's not about beating myself up because I think when I look back at my younger self, um, I really think I was kind of doing the best that I could at the time with the information I had. And I don't think things would have been wildly different. Um, You know, even if I, even if I had my time again, um, in terms of like, I was doing the best I could with the information I had and with the resources I had available. But um. I guess it's just helpful sometimes as an adult reflecting back and thinking about the things that we wish we'd known back then. And I guess if it can be helpful to anyone else in their own recovery listening to this. Now, I'm fully aware as well that everyone's recovery journey is an individual one and we're all different. So please obviously take from this what's helpful for you and the things that don't make sense to you, please discard them. So What's the first thing that I wish I'd known? Um, So eating more is survivable. Okay. So I remember many years ago, sitting at my kitchen table and having cheese on toast and a Kit Kat. And it was my day off from work. And this was in my year out between sixth form and university. So what happened as well is in my recovery, I kind of made some quite good progress with my sort of eating side of things early on in my recovery, but I would still continue to binge and purge for several years after that, definitely sort of triggered by more emotional triggers. Um, But this phase I'm talking about was when I had just transitioned really from being extremely restrictive and being caught in major cycles of binging and purging to starting to allow myself to eat a bit more. And I know That sounds so simple, but I really get if you're listening to this and you feel that right now that is unreachable, I completely get it because I have been there and it's really, really hard at the time. Anyway, going back. So I was sitting at my kitchen table and I was having cheese on toast and a Kit Kat. It was my day off from work. And this was in my year out between sixth form and going off to uni. And at this time, I worked at an alternative clothing shop in Cambridge. Now, for me, actually, this was quite a freeing and enjoyable time because I think I'd just come out of sixth form where you're having to work really hard and slog all the time. Um, 
for years as well, I'd had to work for my dad growing up on the farm, milking cows, doing hard labour. So actually working in a shop at the time was really quite a lot of fun. And I was basically running this shop with this manager who was like 22 and we basically had a ball and every sort of three weeks the top management would kind of come in and kind of keep an eye on us and we would have to do a mad scurry around cleaning up the shop looking as though we knew what we were doing but kind of in between we were having a really great time. Um, so this was quite a helpful time for me because I think just having a bit of pressure taken off, allowing myself to do something that was, um, you know, th there wasn't so much pressure. It was a bit more fun. It was a bit more relaxed. That was kind of quite helpful for that year. And it kind of helped me start to be a bit more relaxed with my food as well, because I think because of other areas of my life were less stressful, I could almost kind of focus on that and be a bit more relaxed. Um, and I think before this period, I'd been at sixth form and at sixth form, I'd really been caught up in the horrible depths of bulimia. Like, so going kind of days of being really restrictive and then days of binging and purging and just feeling like I had no control around food, that I was, you know, everything just felt just so messy and horrible and chaotic. And this was quite a breakthrough to feel not quite so much like that. So that cheese on toast as well, it really tasted nice, you know, something that actually was something that I wanted to eat, you know, it wasn't kind of like the rice cakes and cottage cheese that I'd been convincing myself that I wanted to eat, it was actually something that I genuinely fancied and I enjoyed the taste of and I remember actually just sitting there and realising I actually feel satisfied with eating this, you know, I actually have given myself what I want to eat and it doesn't mean that I want to eat the whole cupboard. And I'm making that sound really simple. And I had lots of messy, imperfect attempts at this before this point. But I just remember that moment of being a bit of a breakthrough. Um, so allowing myself to eat more was such a crucial part of change. And for me, I know this isn't true for everybody, but the negatives of restriction for me were just so huge because I just found that my body struggled so much. Um, I remember going on holiday with some friends when I was um, 17 at the end of sort of lower, so between the lower sixth, um, lower sixth and upper sixth. And being just completely distracted on that holiday because I was trying to be really restrictive and I had no sense of humour. <laughs> I just couldn't join in with what everyone was doing. I couldn't really eat what they were eating. And I remember just feeling really quite isolated and miserable and having no energy and just feeling really on the outside. Um, so for me, kind of eating more, even though, of course, I inevitably did gain weight because I've been holding my weight in an, an underweight place, um, actually the benefits of just having more energy to get my sense of humor back to be reconnecting to be able to be present with my friends um all those benefits were just so worth it and I did even have a bit of overshoot as well with my weight from going from like being quite underweight and then I kind of overshot where my kind of normal place was for a bit and I do remember I didn't feel very comfortable in my body in that place I remember wearing like um back in the late 90s and wearing like a green bodysuit and with jeans. And I just remember how that felt, um, you know, not feeling very comfortable, being really conscious of my stomach. However, when I was wearing that green bodysuit, I was out at a party. I was enjoying myself with my friends. And I guess for me, just 
you know, it was hard doing the weight restoration. It was hard eating more. That did bring a lot of guilt. But also there were so many benefits of my body just being back in a happier place again. And I really kind of held on to that. Um, But I wish as well I'd kind of known that earlier because I think I kept myself in a very restrictive place for quite a long time because I felt I couldn't kind of take that risk to allow myself to do some weight restoration to allow myself to have more freedom with food. You know, I really thought that once I started eating, that I would just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and I would never, never stop. And, you know, it feels like that when you've been really restrictive, you do want to eat and eat. But actually, once you start to allow yourself to, you know, tune in to your genuine hunger, to allow yourself to eat the foods that you've been denying yourself, you can start to feel satisfied, satiated, and that kind of ferocious urge to binge really does dissipate. So that was a significant one for me, realizing that eating more is a survivable thing. So that was my number one. Okay, number two, um, explore the past, but don't get stuck there. Now, I spent a lot of time understanding the roots of the eating disorder and the low self-worth that lurk beneath these symptoms. And for me, I believe this was an absolutely necessary and crucial part of my own recovery process. And I believe to this day that for most people, that can be a vital part of healing. Because if we don't process the past, if we don't kind of understand what happened, if we don't kind of put those pieces of the jigsaw together, sometimes it can be really, really hard to move on from that. However, I think for me, I did get stuck there for a while. I was kind of ruminating a lot of my own juices, feeling a lot that others were to blame and feeling a lot like, you know, just if that person changed, if people around me changed and were able to give me what I needed, then I would be okay. Um, And I really desperately wanted some of those relationships to be kind of corrected and made right. And for people that I felt kind of should be nicer to me, should be able to kind of give me that care and love and attention that I was really craving. Um, And I think in a way that just really kept me stuck because, you know, I have huge compassion for, you know, my family and, you know, so many kind of positive things as well have come out of my early life. But I think as well, a really significant part and my own recovery has become, has been even coming to an acceptance of what people are able to give and what they're not. And also developing then as well, real compassion for people's limitations. Because I think, you know, everyone I do believe is generally trying to do the best that they can at the time. And um, it's just really helpful, you know, to acknowledge that and sometimes to acknowledge maybe the limitations of some of those relationships and to grieve maybe the relationship that you wish you could have, but maybe that's just not possible. Um, And I think for a long time, I was kind of stuck in that place where I wasn't willing to let go. I really wanted um, to somehow get those relationships in a place where um, where I could get all those needs met, where I felt kind of good enough, where I had that external validation. So when I moved to a place of starting to really accept, you know, that people were doing the best they could, that this is what they could give me, this is what they couldn't give me, I was able to start to move on. And then also as well to be able to kind of form new relationships with friends or romantic partners or it and relationships where I could get my needs met in a more healthy way. 
And it didn't mean that I had to kind of abandon my family or anything, but it was just being able to accept, I guess, what's, you know, what relationships can I have with my family and where are there more limitations and begin to just really kind of work with that. Because I think as well, when we haven't worked through that properly, what we tend to do as well is we will look for other relationships in our lives where we repeat those old patterns unconsciously. So say, for example, if you had a parent perhaps that wasn't able to meet your emotional needs um, in the way that you needed them to be met, is you'll probably go for partners, you might go for friends who also can't connect with you on an emotional level. And it's almost like it's an unconscious thing that we do as human beings where we're sort of trying to get it right next time. Um, and um, and that's really hard because of, um, you know, if we're going, if we're trying to connect with someone who maybe isn't able to support us emotionally or connect with us in that emotional way, we're going to come to a dead end again and we're going to repeat those old, fa- old patterns and then feel kind of low in self-worth. So... I think for me, I'm just, I'm very grateful that I did spend time working through the past, but I think I got stuck there a bit too long. And if I could wave a magic wand and go back, I would like to perhaps have speeded that process up a little bit. But who knows if that would have really been possible. Um, But yeah, helpful to reflect on. My number three... You will lose yourself when you try to please everyone. Now, anyone that's listened to this podcast and heard my previous episodes will realize that people pleasing is something that I really have struggled with a lot in the past. And although my eating disorder behaviors had pretty much stopped by my mid-20s, I really continued to struggle with having a voice and I would endlessly try to please others. So when I was doing my counseling training from 25 to 29 years old, I look at my journal that we had to kind of keep as part of this counselling journey. And my main struggle then consistently was people pleasing. And the thing that I found really hard is, is I became acutely aware where I was doing it. And um, it made me really frustrated because of, it's almost like I had that awareness, but I couldn't stop it. And I think I just want to share that really because I think it's such a normal part of the process of change that sometimes we have to be acutely aware of something many, 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 many times before we're able to make the change. And it's quite unusual sometimes to be able to just do that overnight. Anyway, it was a frustrating loop, I guess, that I was caught in with this people-pleasing. And um, it also, it caused me such a lot of stress day to day because I think, because I was always saying yes to things that I really probably should have said no to, I carried a lot of anger and resentment, which I probably didn't really show to other people, but I took that inwards. I also carried quite a lot of anxiety because of I was constantly kind of worried about, I suppose, situations perhaps I didn't want to go into, but I said yes to, and now I felt I couldn't avoid them. And it was almost like every day was a bit more of a struggle than it needed to be, just because I didn't really have healthy boundaries in place. So, Thankfully, though, this is something I've worked a lot at. And over time, I have found my voice. And through taking action of saying no and beginning to set boundaries, I've survived. Nothing that bad happened. And I better than survived as I found a newfound respect for myself. I began to like myself more as I was being more authentic and genuine. And I think 
this is something like reflecting back, I just hadn't really realized how much people pleasing just robs you so much of your own sense of self-worth and your own sense of self-respect. Because if you're constantly compromising yourself, if you're stepping away from your values and when you're not really being completely genuine with others and not because of your trying to be manipulative because but because you so strongly fear rejection um you don't like yourself as much because of you know you're just not being truly authentic and i think for me being genuine and authentic you know they're some of my top top values so when i wasn't being my genuine self um that brought up such a conflict for me um which was really hard um so i think being kind to myself about the people pleasing, it was definitely a trauma response for me because people pleasing was a vital survival strategy when growing up. And it really kept a lot of harmony and maintained peace for me as a child, which kind of was positive back then. Um, and it also protected me from criticism, rejection, and humiliation, but it wasn't serving me as an adult. And it also damaged several of my relationships in my 20s because what I would sometimes do is just kind of please people to keep the peace and um, kind of go along with things, not really assert myself. And then it would sort of get to a point where it was just too much and I, I could not do it anymore. And then almost kind of overnight, I would perhaps explode and then almost everything would come out, kind of all this stuff, all these things that I hadn't been honest about. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about big lies here, but I'm just talking about kind of, but just hiding parts of myself or saying yes when I wanted to say no, just not being truly authentic. And then it would really kind of have a huge impact on that friendship. Um, so people pleasing, you know, it became, it started to become extremely, extremely destructive behavior for me. Um, but thankfully, it's something that I don't do anymore. And I suppose looking back, I wish perhaps sometimes that I had been a bit braver and felt able to take the risk of setting boundaries earlier because actually my experience of setting boundaries and being authentic and honest is actually then you respect yourself, you get respect from others. When people understand where your boundaries are, um, you know, they kind of know where to sort of step really and they kind of, you get that kind of mutual respect, um, you life is just easier. You're not kind of having to kind of navigate all these situations all the time, every day. Okay, number four, recovery is an inside job. Okay, so for a long time, this leads on a bit from my point two, but for a long time, I thought that if others changed or if I found the perfect therapist or coach or if I read the right book, um, you know, if I found this magical external thing, then I would be free from my eating disorder. Now, of course, all these things can be really helpful. You know, having a great therapist can be really, really valuable and supportive. Reading books, um, you know, all these things can be so valuable and can propel you along the recovery road. However, ultimately, it is about taking personal responsibility and doing the inner work. And I know for me, like when I was in my early 20s and people told me to love myself, I really had no clue about what that meant. I just, you know, I just did not understand it at all. And I had no concept about how to begin to go about doing that. So I kind of get as well, it's all very well saying this, but, you know, that can feel like a huge responsibility, a huge undertaking to, you know, engage with. Um. 
I think as well, when you don't love yourself um, and you don't have those kind of boundaries and self-respect in place, you enter into relationships as well where you don't get the respect. You tolerate people walking over you. Um, And also when you're always looking externally for advice or solutions, people will, with very good intentions, tell you what you should do. And with all due respect to other human beings, you know, no one else is really inside your head. No one else really knows what is right for you. So that's, again, it's quite a dangerous thing to do. And I think that is a mistake I made a lot when I was younger, like always I've had to make a decision. I would talk to about five people, kind of get their opinion. And of course, I would then be presented with five different solutions and I would be even more confused. And and I'd also have a secondary problem of being worried then that I needed to kind of please them as well. So I used to get myself in a right pickle. So... The times in my life where I've gone inwards and reconnected with myself have been powerful and life-changing. And it's often been when life's been less busy and I've had more time to do that inner work. So it's been like things like journaling, reading, reflecting, taking time to spend time on my own and reconnect with my thoughts. And that's just been really, really powerful. And for me, you know, as anyone will know who's listened to this podcast before, when I went to Australia when I was 23, that was such a significant um, part of that journey, just like having time out and, you know, having time to sort of, I kind of gave myself time then, I guess, to be able to reconnect with myself. And that was a really sort of pivotal point back then for healing. Okay, and the final thing, so it was a bit shrieky then, the final thing that I wish I'd known earlier was about finding the joy in exercise. Now, when I was a child, I grew up on a farm. I was always climbing trees, climbing up straw bales, hay bales, um, you know, making, I used to make like massive piles of straw in the barn with my sisters. And we would literally stand on the top of the barn and jump off into this great big pile of straw. And it was just amazing. It was so much fun. And one thing I was really, really lucky about um, my mum and dad were actually just not at all anxious when it came to us exploring our kind of physical environment. And, you know, we were allowed to really, I guess, kind of take lots of risks in that way, um, but in a very sort of positive way, really, um, which kind of enabled me to become physically quite confident. Um, but I guess when I developed an eating disorder, I kind of lost so much of that because exercise then became so much about kind of calories and burning off energy and how your body looked. And it became quite negative, really. And it became a real slog. Whereas as a child, I was always just really active, but in a really sort of joyful, happy way. I never would have thought about my body or how I looked or anything like that. Um, but then in my 30s, um, I got into Ninja Warrior training for a little bit. And it's something I don't do now. Other priorities have taken over in my life. But it was um, for a period and it was really quite invigorating and new and exciting and took me back a lot to my childhood self. And I guess with Ninja Warrior training, I don't know if anyone's watched the program on TV, um, I never did any training to that extent. I really dabbled in the shallow waters of Ninja Warrior training. So it involved doing a few handstands, being able to do the monkey bars and trying to kind of vault up small walls and things like that. (laughs) And it was really, really fun. But 
what I really loved about that whole experience was really feeling connected with my body, really feeling joyful in movement and really enjoying just feeling strong and um, able and just really viewing my body in a whole different way. And that was completely liberating because when I was Ninja Warrior training, I was not thinking at all about you know, linking it to any kind of eating or anything like that was just much more in the moment and having fun. And um, it was a really great way as well to connect with other people. And, um, And it just made me feel very playful and kind of vibrant again, which was just massively great for my mental health. So do you know what? Talking about it now, it makes me think, I would really like to do a bit of that again. <laughs> but we shall see. Um, you know, it, we, we shall see. It's not my top priority right now. But I think even just a little bit of that back in your life can add a real boost of well-being and joyfulness. And, um, and that's really great, isn't it? And that's what we want to be getting back to with movement and activity and not seeing it as kind of like this slog that you have to do to kind of earn your food. Not helpful. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this episode and um, I hope, you know, obviously this is my journey, your journey might be very different, but hopefully it's given you some thoughts and reflections which might help inspire you on your own journey and give you some of your own ideas about what might help you. So if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support in your relationship with food, do visit my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you'd like to support this podcast, do enroll in my Patreon account and more details of that are in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening today. And just remembering to say as well, if you do enjoy listening to this podcast, please do follow, rate and review um, because it really helps it reach many more listeners. And we are now on over 100,000 downloads. So thank you so much to everyone who supports this podcast. So I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. 